Well, greetings. My name is Peter McCarter, and some of you have seen me and met me before. I'm pastor of Grace Baptist Church, and we're here in Queens, and you're a beloved pastor. It's, well, he just finished one sermon, and he's working on a second one in the next 45 minutes or so. And so, uh, from time to time, it's been about a year and a half, we get together and trade, so to speak. Uh, and I'm blessed to come here, and I see new faces. And I love seeing new faces because that means that God is adding to this number and drawing people in. And we're hearing uh, from the men that come into this pulpit that I know, from uh, Pastor Matthew, Pastor Mike, and DJ, really solid gospel, Christ-centered preaching. And that's how you grow, and that's how we grow. Uh, and so it is good to be with you. So today we're going to look at, and discuss, if we will, 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm really going to be looking at verses, the second half of verse 3 to verse 5, but I'll read verses 1 to 5 to set the context. So 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 to 5. There we read, Peter, apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Galicia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to reveal in the last time. Let's pray. Father, as we were just saying, we want, we want to be shown Christ. Lord, may you reveal your glory through your word. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need to hear from man. Lord, we need to hear from your word. Pray that indeed you enable your word to go out by the power of the Spirit for you to preach it and for us to hear it. And oh Father, not just to hear, but Lord, to believe the truths of your word and to see Christ and his glory and our hearts swell all the more for him. So that we do it for his glory. So please work, we pray, in Jesus' name. Well, when the coronavirus first broke out, and I would talk to someone on the phone, the first thing that I would ask them, and they would ask me, would be, are you okay? Are you physically okay? Everyone in their family okay? Anyone have the virus? And so it's normal. It is normal to talk about what is affecting people right now. What's on everybody's mind? What is the current event? But this is not how Peter opens up his first epistle. The saints are struggling greatly because of persecution. And just a little bit of background, Nero, uh, who was the emperor at that time, he had this thirst and passion for building. But in order to build, he had burned down much of Rome, so he converted down and build it again. And so that's exactly what he did. And then when the people of Rome, after losing many people, family members, and everything else they love, they, they heard that Nero did. And Nero heard that they heard that he did it. Uh, and so to help himself, he took a scapegoat, or a scapegoat, and he blamed the Christians. And thus started this tremendous persecution of believers in the Roman Empire. 
And so the saints are struggling. They're being persecuted. They are being reviled and rejected and physically suffering for their faith. And Peter will address this stuff, right? And quite honestly, no book outside of the book of Job uh, is, is so geared towards talking about suffering. Uh, but he opens this letter by reminding them of, of the foundational truth of their election of God, uh, of their redemption through the blood of Jesus and their sanctification through the Spirit. And then in verses 3 to 5, he breaks out into doxology. And doxology is just a praise of God. And he, and he praises God because he is the God and Father of all, which is Jesus Christ. And then he praises him for his abundant mercy uh, by which he has made them born again, uh, by, by which he has regenerated them to new life, giving them a new heart with new affections, as now they are in the family of God. And because they're in his family, he's given them, he says, a living hope. A hope that is alive, a hope that will bring them to glory. A hope, as verse 4 will say, uh, is in an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and unfading and is reserved for them in heaven. So Peter starts his letter by pointing them away from their problems uh, and to the one who has solved their greatest problem of all and has brought them from death to life. And so what I'd like to do today is look at sort of verse 3 leading to 5, and I'd like to look at three more ways, or three ways in which Peter praises God in those verses. And I believe it would be in the bulletin. And that is, Peter praises God uh, for how the new birth is accomplished. He praises God for what the new birth entitles us to. And thirdly, he praises God for what the new birth secures. So let's, let's look at uh, him praising God for how the new, what the new birth, for how the new birth is accomplished in verse 3b. And I'll just read verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us against the living hope. Here it is. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, God's abundant mercy, uh, through it, and by it, he has begotten us again to a living hope. And this hope has come through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So it is through the resurrection that God regenerates us. Because, because Jesus has, has been raised from the dead and lives forevermore, we too can be raised to new life. Because he is alive, we have a living hope. He himself said in John 14, 19, because I live, you will live also. Because I live, you will live also. We read in Colossians 1, 18 that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. And firstborn means that many more will follow. Many more will follow. Many more will be resurrected. And the reason they will follow him is because he defeated death and sin and the grave on behalf of his people. Uh, so in order for him to give us a new nature, uh, to, be, to be born from the spiritual dead, he had to take away what condemned us and what enslaved us, what held us captive, and his resurrection proves that he did just that. Now if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, uh, we, we could not be born from above because there would be no sure payment for sin. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And then in verse 19, he says this, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. That's it, we're the most pitiable people. We just have hope for now and no more. So if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then we are still dead in our trespasses and sins. But he did rise. And his resurrection is the crowning point of his redemptive work and the validation, the validation of God's saving work. Now his resurrection means a few things, a few things for us. 
Right? Romans 1 4 says it declares that Jesus is the Son of God with power. It means that every single thing Jesus said, every single word he uttered, is true and can be trusted. It means that every command and promise, every interpretation of the word of God that he has given is accurate. It means he is who he said he is, he did what he said he came to do. And he said he was the resurrection and life, and those who believe in him would have abundant life, and although they would die, they would live forevermore. He said that he went to prepare a place for us, and he's coming back to bring us there. It, it means, it, it means that, that God was 100% satisfied with his work on the cross. 100% satisfied with it. it. It means that Christ has finished his work, and he has gone back to heaven to sit at God's right hand, and has all power and authority. And it means that he sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and, and who bears witness of his work and of his word. So his resurrection proves that, that, is, that, that death has no rightful claim on Christ, and therefore it has no rightful claim on his people. And his resurrection proves his perfect righteousness as well. But he was, as he said, the sinless one. Uh, and, and it's also the righteousness we need and that he gives to us so that we can be declared that we are declared righteous before holy God. Paul said in Romans 4.25 that Jesus was raised by our justification or our righteousness. So then whatever trials and whatever troubles we have, we can praise God because, because of the life we have now and forevermore through Christ's resurrection. And Jesus rising from the dead is the bedrock, the bedrock we're standing on for our regeneration all the way to our glorification. It's the security and the certainty we have that our everlasting life, our inheritance, is waiting for us in heaven. Listen, without the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, we could not be born again because there would be nothing for us to be born into. There would be no kingdom of God. There would be no family of God. There would be no hope. We would be no better than the Muslims or the Hindus or Jehovah's Witnesses or any group that denies the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. But he did bodily resurrect. So we have a living hope and a living Savior, and no one can take that away. Because no one can take away the life of Christ. Amen? Amen. And so we see, Peter praises God for having a new birth is accomplished. Secondly, he praises God for what the new birth entitles us to, and that's in verse 4. There he says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Well, the great hope that we have because of one new birth through the resurrection is an inheritance. An inheritance. And we all know what an inheritance is. It's when someone leaves you something in their will, and most of the time it's the family, and most of the time it's the children. And children are heirs, heirs, which is someone who is legally entitled to the property or monies of the parent that they've had. And in the Old Testament, God promised the Jews an inheritance because they were the people of God. But their inheritance was an earthly inheritance. It was the literal land of Canaan, or the promised land. So each tribe and each family, except for the Levites and the priests, were allotted a portion of land as their inheritance. And if the Jews obeyed God and his covenant, then they could and would keep their inheritance and God would continue to bless them. But if they disobeyed him and broke his covenant, they would lose their inheritance, which they eventually did, first with the Assyrians coming in and later on with the Babylonians. 
But the inheritance God gives his people and the new covenant is not an earthly inheritance, but it's a heavenly one. It's a spiritual one. Right? It, it's an inheritance given to them because they are his sons, his family. And so they're heirs. Brothers and sisters, we are heirs. From John 3 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Paul says in Galatians 3 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 16, we're told the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Verse 17 says, If children and heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So we birth right here, though, to a divine inheritance, just as Jesus does. Galatians 3 29 says that we're Abraham's offspring and therefore heirs according to promise. Galatians 4, 6, and 7, he says, Because you are sons, God has sent with the Spirit of the Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Titus 3, 7 says, We've been justified by his grace, and therefore heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And in James chapter 2, verse 5, it says, God has chosen us to be heirs of his kingdom. So we're heirs of the kingdom, and, and, and we are heirs of salvation, and we are heirs of the grace of life according to the hope of life. And this is amazing when you think about it, that we inherit what Christ inherits, uh, and that we share what he's entitled to. And he says to the Father in John 17, 24, that he desires that, that they, his disciples, also whom you gave me, may be with me where I am. Uh, that they may behold my glory which you've given me. He wants that. Thus, brothers and sisters, we will reign with him in glory. And, and, and we know that we will be partakers of his glory. That, that ought to excite us a little bit, right? We're going to reign with him in glory and be partakers of his glory. Now, what the scriptures tell us of this inheritance uh, is that it, it was given to us when God elected us before time began. So our, our eternal inheritance is the end goal of our election. So Ephesians 1.11 says that our inheritance was predestined by God. There we read, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. Acts 26.18. Paul said his mission as an apostle was to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, here it is, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance, and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in man. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 34, that we inherit the kingdom which was prepared for us before time began. So when God elected you, you also set up your inheritance. It was yours before you knew it or before you knew him. Psalm 37, 18 tells us this inheritance is an everlasting inheritance. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. And, and you're qualified, right? Oh, Colossians, 
Colossians 1, let me look at that first. Colossians 1, 12 says that, that we should give thanks to God who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. And they're qualified for the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.18 says this inheritance is glorious. So every single Christian, every born-again believer, doesn't make a difference who you are, you have this inheritance. And in the scriptures, this inheritance is also known as an unfading crown of glory. You see that in 1 Peter 5. Paul calls it, in 2 Timothy, he calls it a crown of righteousness. Uh, and we read in Revelation 2.10, it's called a crown of life. Now, there are four things that Peter says about this inheritance in this verse. And that is that it is incorruptible, it is not defiled, it does not fade away, and fourthly, it is reserved in heaven for us. And it's interesting that he doesn't start off by telling us what this inheritance is, he starts off by telling us what it isn't. What it isn't. Uh, and so he starts off by saying uh, it's incorruptible. Incorruptible means it's not liable to be corrupted or to corruption or decay. Right? The inheritance in the Old Testament was corrupted. It was perishable, right? The temple was destroyed. The walls were broken down. The land was polluted. It was polluted with sin and idolatry of people. However, our inheritance is incorruptible. Now, of course, uh, of course, a lot of things decay in this life. And we know that. We, we know it's all around us. We decay, right? Food decays, plants decay, stones decay, and so on. Right? You go to an old cemetery, I was in an old cemetery last week, you try to read the stones, and they're there in the 1850s or 60s, they would almost not even read the words of the stone that they've been, they've been eroded away. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 25 that athletes run in a race to win a crown or a wreath made out of branches, he says, that perishes. But we run our race, our Christian journey, for an imperishable, uncorrupted crown. Peter says in verse chapter 1, verse 23 of 1 Peter, that we've been born again by an incorruptible seed. It's the word of God. Uh, so, so our inheritance won't decay, it won't rot, it won't spoil, it will not erode. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 20, that neither will moth nor rust destroy it. Hey, the earth will perish. Every single stone will crumble. Every building will fall. Every bridge will collapse. But our inheritance uh, is imperishable. It is incorruptible. Secondly, Peter says our inheritance is undefiled, which means free from contamination. It's like pure gold, pure silver, no impurities, 100% undefiled. Not like those old ivory soap ads, which said that ivory soap was 94, 99 and 44, 100% pure. Well, that means it's impure because it had 0.56% of alkali and carbonates and mineral water in it. So it was not 100% soap. But our inheritance is 100% pure because the one who died for us was 100% undefined, meaning yes. he had no sin. Hebrews 7 25 says Jesus was holy, harmless, undefined, and separate from sins. And listen, undefiled is what the New Jerusalem will be like. John says in Revelation 21 27, speaking of the New Jerusalem, he said, There shall by no means enter anything that defiles 
what causes an abomination of law, and only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Therefore, no sin, no evil, no anything to contaminate or defile because there's no sinners in it and there's no sin. Your inheritance cannot be ruined or ravaged by hostile forces. No one can cheat you out of it. No shifty or shady lawyer can somehow take it from you. No one can contest your inheritance. You know, people in this life, they contest rules all the time. They just do. And James Brown died, he left an estate worth $100 million. And he will let $100 million to go to his grandchildren and to disadvantaged children. But his wife and his children, well, they contested the will. And at the end of the day, it was $50 million up. So just because you don't put someone in your will, but just because you cut someone out of your will, does not mean they're not going to get it. But our inheritance is incorruptible, it is undefiled, and thirdly, it does not fade away. It does not fade away. And the Greek word for fade away is amaranthos. Amaranthos is where we get the word for the amaranth flower. Uh, and that is a flower that supposedly doesn't fade. I think over the long run it will, but it's a flower that lasts a very long time. Peter said in 1 Peter 5 4 that we have a crown of glory that won't fade away. Same word. And you know, lots of things in life fade, don't they not? Blue jeans, which is a big deal now, because people pay a lot of money to pay the blue jeans. Pictures today, street signs. The other day, my wife and I were walking around, and she said, What lock in my eye? I looked at the street sign. The green sign was like was like white green. I couldn't see it anymore. Because I had no idea what we were doing. Right? Things fade. Right? Even, uh, even, even, even flowers will fade away. Most flowers will fade away, right? Isaiah said in Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God lasts forever. Well, many earthly inheritance fade away. These inheritances fade away, if you will, because uh, sometimes even before they're even obtained, they'll fade away before people can get them. Uh, you know, they can fade if the stock market takes a hit. They can fade if the housing market tanks, or, or for some other financial hardship. Well, well, you may receive your inheritance, uh, and it fade away because you squander it. I've known more than a few people that have blown their inheritances. Uh, they get a big chunk of money, and they, they party it away. They live large, they live luxuriously for a few seasons. Well, they make a lot of friends, of course. Uh, and before you know it, it's gone. And so, too, are those friends. But our heavenly inheritance won't fade away. And the reason it won't fade away, and the reason it won't be corrupted, and the reason it won't be defiled, because Peter says it is reserved in heaven for you. It is reserved in heaven for you. And the word reserved means to tend to carefully, to guard, to guard. In 2 Peter chapter 2, he uses this word, and he says that God has reserved the fallen angels and all unbelievers for the day of judgment. Right? Jude used this word in chapter 1, verse 1 of Jude, and says that the saints are sanctified and preserved, same word, in Jesus Christ. So our inheritance is being watched over for us in heaven. Therefore, no one can steal it, no one can mess with it, no one can tamper with it, because our names are written on it just as our names are written in heaven. One man said, the hand that bled to make it mine is keeping it for me. The hand that bled to make it mine is keeping it for me. Also, this word that he used to reserve is in the perfect tense, which means this reservation was made in the past. It was made a long time ago. Uh, and, and so it was, it, was, it was placed in safekeeping before time began. 
Uh, and, it's, and it's being held for each believer awaiting their arrival. It's kind of like when you order theater tickets, like when I've done this, or maybe even met tickets, and you order it online, and you go to the theater or the, or the stadium, and the tickets are just waiting there for you. You cut right to the front gate tickets and go in. Well, think of it, if you will, as a safety deposit box in heaven. But instead of the bank guarding it for you, God is guarding it for you. So that our inheritance is more secure than Fort Knox. It's more secure than the Swiss laws. It's more secure than the Vatican archives. I want you to notice something else. I want you to notice the last two words of verse 4. And they are for you. For you. I'll read verse 4 again. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So this incorruptible, undefiled, never fading inheritance is guarded in heaven and is guarded in heaven for you. And the words for you were written to encourage the weary, struggling, suffering, persecuted saints. And listen, you may be struggling even now. You may be struggling even now. Uh, but Christ sees and he knows and he has prepared a place just for you. There is an inheritance waiting in heaven, believer for you. The one who battles with sin, the one who battles with temptation, the one who struggles with persecution, and maybe even in your own home. There is an inheritance for you. The one who is weak and at times seems to have just a little bit of faith. There is an inheritance for you, maybe the least among the body of believers. There is an inheritance for you. The one who is often crying out to the God to have mercy on you, to forgive you because you struggle and you struggle and you struggle. So yes, this inheritance is for all the saints, but it is absolutely and particularly for you. So Peter is saying, be of good cheer. Your inheritance is secure for you in heaven. Well, now we need to ask, what is this inheritance? And verse 5 says it is the finality of our salvation, which is a glorified body like Christ has in sinless perfection with unhindered communion with God. And ultimately, ultimately, it's God. It's God. Yes, we inherit God. God said to Abraham in Genesis 15, 1, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. David said in the Psalm we read today, 16, 5, Oh Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You're my inheritance. The psalmist said in Psalm 73, 26, My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Not only do we inherit God, we inherit Christ as well. 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, Paul says, this saying is trustworthy for if we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Colossians 3 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So the Father is our inheritance, and the Son is our inheritance. And when it comes to fruition, then we will understand what Paul meant when he said it first. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, that eye has not seen what you have heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love. We don't know how good it is. We have glimpses of how good it is. We don't even know all the words to describe how good it is. 
Therefore, dear saints, what more could we want? What more do we need? What more do we need to help us through the tough stuff of this life? Right? We have a living hope. We have a living hope. Amen. And that hope is in heaven to Christ. And so we see Peter praises God for how the new birth is accomplished. Secondly, uh, he praises God for what the new birth entitles us to. And lastly, Peter praises God for what the new birth secures in verse 5. Then we read, who are kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Well, we've seen how God keeps and reserves our inheritance in heaven so no one can touch it. But what about us? What about us? Will we make it to the end? Will we make it to the end to receive our inheritance? Or can we fall away? Can we disqualify ourselves? Can we throw in a towel and just go another way? And Peter says in verse 5, no. No, the answer is no. Because God not only secures your inheritance, he also secures you. He not only secures your inheritance, he secures you. And this is the doctrine of eternal security, which says if God saves you, then you cannot save yourself. You cannot lose your salvation. And unfortunately, many teach that you can lose your salvation, which is a tremendous error, and causes great harm to the saints. And there are a plethora of verses in Scripture which tell you you cannot lose your salvation. You couldn't earn it. God gave it to you freely, and you can't lose what He freely gave you. And although God did freely give it to you, Jesus had to pay for it for you. Colossians 1, 1 Corinthians 7 says that you were born at a price. And Peter will say in this chapter, 1 Peter verse 19, that the price that was paid to buy you was His precious blood. So Jesus didn't die for you and paid you with his blood only for you to somehow botch it up. Look at John, chapter 10, verses 27 to 29. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. Here it is. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I get the picture. The picture is, is Jesus Christ, God, in the flesh, and then he says his Father as well, we're in the omnipotent hand of God. Think of yourself in there right now. That's who you are. Who's prying those fingers over? You? you? Are you seeing your way out of that hand? Satan made you out of that hand? The world around you made you out of that hand? He says you will never perish. What part of you will never perish can we possibly turn into you can perish? Paul said in Philippians 1.6 that he is confident, confident of this very thing that he, God, has begun a good work and you will complete to the end, to the day of Christ Jesus. I'm confident that this is, you're not going to lose this thing. God is going to finish what he started. Romans 8, 38-39, Paul I am persuaded. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things in present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing, that's everything in the universe, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I'm confident. So then nothing in heaven, nothing on earth, nothing anywhere is going to separate you from the love of God, not even your own sin. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is, is, right, that's the word you want to look at, is a new creation. All things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. So how can you go from being a new creation 
back to dead in your trespasses. How could you go that way? Jesus said in John 6, 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. I will by no means cast out. Then in verse 39, he says, that the, he says, but the will of God is, this is the will of my Father, he says, that, that all he has given me, that's the elect, I should lose nothing to raise it up on the next So if you were given by the Father to the Son, and, and it's God's will that you should not be lost, then how could you lose your salvation? How could you lose If you could, that would mean that you foiled God's will. And that Jesus was unsuccessful in raising you up on the last day. Hebrews 10, 14 says that by one offering, he, Jesus, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Perfected forever. So if God has called you and saved you, and Christ has perfected you through his cross, how then could you be lost? It would mean that Christ has not perfected you. That his work on the cross was insufficient to keep you. And lastly, although there are many more texts that we could go through here, lastly, Ephesians 4.30 says that we were sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. And that is, of course, the day of inheritance. And if you could lose your salvation, that means that you broke the seal of the Holy Spirit. That's what that would mean. So ultimately, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, you, you undid all of their things. The triune God, which has, has saved you and indwelt you and elected you and keep you, you undid all of it. He was unsuccessful in saving you. See how hurt that doctrine is? Well, Peter tells us four things about those who obtain God's inheritance. Uh, and the first is that they are kept by the power of God. And the word kept is a military term, which means to guard with the truth, to guard with the truth. Uh, it means to block out every way of escape and to block every entrance to come in. And Paul uses this word in Philippians 4 7 after he says, Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and through the question of the God. And then he says this The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard, that's the word, will guard the hearts and minds of Christ Jesus. Uh, and this word kept is in, the, is in the present tense, which means that we are guarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and 365 days a year. We are perpetually guarded by God from all enemies until the war is over and the victory is complete. Uh, and what we're guarded by is the power of God. It's the power of the omnipotent God guards us. The one who spoke the universe into existence, he guards us. The one who Job 26, 14 says, has incorruptible power, he guards us. The one that Romans 1, 20 says, or describes as the eternal power, he guards us. John Calvin said this, he goes, how weak soever we may be, yet our salvation is not uncertain, because it is sustained by the power of God. So it's the power of God that keeps you saved, which is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And then Peter tells us how this power comes to us, and he says it comes to us through faith. Through faith. And through faith means the vehicle in which this power becomes ours. 
And faith is how we receive every single blessing God gives us comes through faith. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, through faith. Right? So God gives saving grace through faith. Paul said in Romans 3.25 that God sent forth Jesus as a propitiation or satisfaction, if you will, by his blood to be received through faith. Hebrews 6.12 says that it is by faith we inherit the promises. Paul prayed in Ephesians 3.17 that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith. By faith. Uh, and, 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 and here's the thing. Even the faith we have, even the faith we have is a gift of life, not something you and I have ever must have. We can't. Again, back to Ephesians 2, now read 9. Well, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. We didn't do this. It is the gift of God. Why? It's not a word some the most. You didn't pull your bootstraps up and decide, today I'm going to believe in Jesus. It was a gift given to you, as was repentance as well. We didn't. Philippians 1.29, for to you it has been granted, that means grace forgiven, for you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe, so right, faith is a gift, but also to suffer for his sake. We don't have to preach about that oftentimes, but suffering is a gift from God for Jesus' sake, and it's given to you. So the vehicle for God's power in our lives is faith, which is a gift from God, and then Peter tells us what it's for. He says, who are kept by the power of God through faith for Salvation. For salvation. So, so salvation is what our inheritance is. And what God is keeping us for is our final and complete salvation. Now you may say, wait a second, I thought I was already saved. Aren't I saved? Uh, and if you've been born again and you're in Christ, you are indeed saved. But in the scripture, there are three aspects, if you will, of our salvation. There's a past aspect of our salvation, a present aspect of it, and a future one as well. So, you were saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. And so let's look at it. You were saved. Yeah, Ephesians 2 8. By grace, you have been. Past tense. You have been saved. So, your present salvation, Philippians 2 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, there's so much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out now. Also, in 1 Corinthians 1 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved right now, it is the power of God. And last, the future, future salvation, Romans 13, 11. And then Paul says, and do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, but now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. It's still not here yet. And, it, and it's our future salvation that is in view in 1 Peter 1 5, which is the culmination of our salvation. Uh, it, it, it is when we receive our inheritance. It is, if you will, the grand finale of our salvation. It's kind of like going to the, to the, uh, uh, to the what is it, the 4th of July, Macy's uh, 4th of July thing, right? In the last five minutes or 10 minutes, if you miss everything, go to that last five or 10, and you, you got everything right there, right? The finale. Well, our salvation is the grand finale, if you will. There's a climax to our salvation. That's what he was talking about. There's a climax. And it is when, as Paul said in Philippians 3.21, that Jesus will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. That's the grand finale, right? It's glory with Christ. It is when, when 1 Corinthians 15, 42-44 will come to pass. 
When the body that is sown in input, sown in corruption, will be raised in incorruption. When the body that is sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. When it is sown in weakness, it will be raised in power. When it is sown a natural body, it will be raised a spiritual body. So what you are kept for is the completion of your salvation. And then Peter says, which is ready to be revealed in the last time. So everything is coming to an end. Everything is coming to an end. Your suffering is only for a short season because Christ is coming back. He's coming back for you. He's helping you now, but he's coming back for you, and he's coming back with my inheritance, which ultimately is life with Christ in glory, in a state, in a glorified state. And it's ready. And it's ready, which means everything necessary for it has been done. Christ is ready to pay the place for you. And it will be revealed when he returns. Right? It will be revealed when he returns. And nothing can be more certain. It's just a matter of time. There's no more work to be done. Atonement has been made on the cross. Life has been given through the resurrection. Christ has ascended on high. And right now makes a possession for his people. And the Holy Spirit has been sent. And all that's left is his returning in great power and glory and gathering up his elect to himself. So it's ready. The only question is this. Are you ready? Are you ready? Am I ready? That's the question. Because it's coming. All, everything necessary has been done. We're just waiting for the return. Are you ready? Let me close by leaving you with three things to consider. Three things to consider. And the first is this. Consider the power available to you today. Consider the power available to you today. Yes, yes, right now God's power is keeping you to get to heaven, but, but his power is also available to you right now to live for Christ today. Paul said in, in Philippians 3.10 that he wanted to know Christ and the power of his resurrection so that he could live for him now through every scenario that, that God would put him in. So the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us to persevere through suffering and to overcome temptations and to have victory over things like pornography, to love a very hard to love person, to not fear a man, to speak up for Christ in the midst of opposition, to conquer worry, to conquer fear, to conquer anxiety, and any other sin or failure that we struggle with. Listen, God's power can help us to be content in any and every single situation. All we have to do is sincerely asked for it, and it will be supplied by faith and through faith. Secondly, consider the joy you could have today. Consider the joy you could have today. You know, Peter is writing to suffering saints to help them have joy in the midst of their trials by focusing them on their secure inheritance. And their eternal securities. He's focusing them again, as I said at the beginning, away from their problems to what is coming and what they have in Christ. He wants them to gaze upon the benefits, in this case, of their great salvation. And when we do that, when we consider what God has done for us and what He's given us, and I'm nothing in heaven or on earth can ever offer that, they ought to bring us some joy. We ought to take away the dismay that we have in this life. When we consider that we have an incorruptible, undefiled, unfading inheritance waiting for us in heaven with our name on it, and then nothing can keep us from it, not even our own sin or sin or any weakness or inconsistencies that we have, that would bring the light to our souls. 
Never move us to praise God. Amen? Thirdly, consider what you're sharing the gospel with the lost. To not only tell them about the judgment to come and the agonies of hell that they will suffer, but also to tell them of the glories of heaven that they will miss. Also tell them of the glories of heaven that they will miss. Tell them about the living hope of an eternal inheritance that every single believer has, which is life in glory with Christ, which is unhindered fellowship with God in a sinless state forevermore. And tell them how, how it's too glorious. It's Paul's that I can't even, not even long for me to tell you what I, what I heard in the third heaven. Tell them how it's too glorious for words to describe, but it's true that everyone puts their faith in Christ. So yes, we must tell them we must tell them that, that God is a holy God. And he hates sin, he's going to judge sin. The judgment of sin is an eternal damnation. You've got to tell them the truth. You can't sugarcoat the reality of the gospel. Bring it all. But bring it all. Tell them there's also a glory that they'll be missing out that could be theirs should they repent and believe. Now listen, if, if you're here today you're not a Christian, you need to know that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will not inherit the kingdom of God because 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 says so. It says, do you not know, Paul says, that the unrighteous, that's anyone who's not righteous, anyone not in Christ, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he, he lists a laundry list of sins. It doesn't even list them all. It just gives you a song, but there's a lot more that we can list. He says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So your sin makes you unrighteous before God. And instead of inheriting eternal life, you're looking at an eternal death and eternal doom. But here's the hope for you today. Because listen to verse 11, where he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So Paul says that they were washed, which means the blood of Jesus cleansed them from all of their sins. And they were sanctified, which means the Holy Spirit regenerated them, brought them to spiritual life. And they were justified, which means that they were now declared not guilty in the high court of heaven. God says, not guilty. Pardoned, forgiven, righteous. And that could be you to say. You're not a believer to say. That could be you to say. But here's the thing. You must repent of your sins. You must believe that Jesus died for you on that cross. And that on the cross you paid for all of your sins. And you must cry out to him for mercy. And if you do, if you do, then you will know the amazing love and mercy of God. You will have an amazing inheritance waiting for you in heaven. Amen? Amen. Do it today. Don't wait. Do it today. Let's pray. Lord, how amazing it is that you would save sinners. And how amazing it is that you would want sinners to know you and to be in your family and to give them an inheritance. In the Son and with the Son for Father, I pray that we as your people would praise you for it. And whether we have a big picture of the reality of our salvation. And we would look forward to what's coming and live for you now with great joy and bless now. And Lord, for those who may be sitting here today or watching this on Facebook or YouTube or whatever, they don't know Christ. They're not truly born in their anyway. They're not living for heaven, not sold out for us Lord. Lord, I pray that you would press them and show them that they are apart from you and they will not inherit the kingdom of God no matter what they think. 
rather than slither for eternal damnation, or even today they return. Even today they cry out, but even now they can come to the cross and find forgiveness and mercy. And I pray that you draw them to the in Jesus' name. Amen.